So I'll stand together at this time, and we're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 1 tonight. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, a message I call Fellowship in the Family. Fellowship in the Family. Philippians 1 and 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. And may God bless the reading of his word tonight. As my prayer. You may be seated. Fellowship in the family. Uh, last Wednesday night in a Wednesday night Bible study, I preached on 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One of the things that I tried to bring across last Wednesday night, some of you were here, some of you were not, is that it is a glorious privilege that is ours to be a part of the family of God. What a great thing it is to be saved, to be a child of God, to have brothers and sisters because we are all in Christ, because Christ is all in us, we then are spiritually related because we are the children of God. What a privilege it is to be a part of the family. But we all know this from our earthly families. It's entirely possible to be related to people with whom you have no practical relationship with at all. Uh, my mother was a part of a very large family, and uh, they, all of her brothers and sisters, uh, all were married. Uh, most of them had children. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, when we got together out at Memaw's house, it was like a young town. And I mean, we just, there was cars everywhere, kids everywhere. And I've told you before, I could, uh, I was going to get in trouble before that day was over. Uh, just a matter of, of uh, how bad and, uh, you know, how, how, how difficult it was going to be to get over it. But uh, uh, there was all kinds of people that were there. I knew, of course, all my aunts and uncles. I knew all my cousins, but now the cousins are all my age for the most part, a few a little younger, some a little older, and though I still know my cousins, I, I don't know all their spouses very well, and I don't know their kids hardly at all. I'm related to them, but I don't know them well. We can bring that sometimes into a much more close relationship in our families, in our immediate, what we call the nuclear families, and know that it's possible to be very closely related to people but not have much of a relationship with them. God doesn't intend for the Christian life to be that way. We are a part of the family of God. And he does not intend for us to live in isolation. Now, obviously, we can't know everybody who's a part of God's forever family. 
Uh, I think that's at least a part of what the Bible says when it's talking about for now we know in part, but then shall we know even as also we are known. And I, I'm not sure exactly how God is going to make that happen for us, but uh, it would seem to me that uh, a part of the joy of heaven is going to be knowing uh, all these other people who are part of the family and being able to call their names. Amen. Won't that be great? Yeah. Not forgetting it, not mixing them up, but uh, getting to know who they are. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Uh, so when we think about this glorious family of God, I mean, it's huge. It's huge. We can't know everybody. Uh, but still through this marvelous institution of the local New Testament church, there's a place then where we can have fellowship with other members of the family. Now, there was a time in the New Testament, of course, when there was only one church, and that was the church of Jerusalem. Uh, there's a time in the book of Acts where we change, we see the change made from church, and all of a sudden the Bible starts talking about churches, churches. So we know that along the way then, and what had produced that was the persecution that developed under the Apostle Paul. So now we've gone from church to churches, and we've never looked back. It's been churches ever since. And the concept of churches then, and the actual usage of the word churches, is found all over the New Testament. Obviously, a quick look around Cabot, Arkansas, will tell you that there are a number of churches in this town. Local churches are very visible, and that's one of the characteristics of local churches is their visibility. We, uh, we're not trying to meet in secret, although there are churches around the world today that have had to meet in secret because they're meeting under horrible persecution. And never forget that that's still going on, and we'll talk more about that tonight but for the most part, churches are very visible. And because we are visible, then we can be known. And we are known by our beliefs and practices. Uh, the old-time preachers used to call that their faith and order. And you might have heard somebody talk about churches of like faith and order. What that means is their beliefs and their practices, what they believe and what they do. Obviously, when you, again, looking across the religious landscape in, in Cabot, Arkansas, you'll see a lot of churches, a lot of steeples around our community. And, uh, but uh, obviously, we're not all the same. We don't all believe the same things. We don't all practice the same things. And there's some dramatic differences. Not going to go into all that tonight. But the final uh, adjutant of all things in relationship to the church, how we make a decision, is always going to be a church's adherence to Scripture. That's always what it has been. It will always be uh, what ultimately determines whether a church is, as we call it, scriptural or not. So let's understand. We look then across the landscape. And understand that, okay, we can't know. They've got to have fellowship in the family. We can't know everybody who's a believer in Christ. Uh, but then, okay, we can know uh, people in a church. 
Uh, and then it brings up the whole subject. Well, uh, what church should I join? Where should I go? What should I be a part of? And, and these, unfortunately, are not always things that people think about very seriously. Maybe you're in this service tonight and you're thinking about, well, uh, what church should I join? The easy answer to that question is to seek the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy, pray, ask God to lead you to the church that he would have you to be a part of. And if you come to that conclusion, you know that that this is Faith Baptist. This is a, a good church and they're preaching the truth and they're practicing the truth, and I, I feel led to be a part of this congregation. I think maybe God is leading me. Then you can make that happen, and we'll help you. Now, there are standards that we have for membership. Uh, you're going to have to be baptized if you haven't. You're going to have to be baptized by immersion if you hadn't been. Uh, if you're coming from a church that is substantially different than ours in faith and practice, then we may ask you to join by baptism. All of these things are true. Uh, you may can join by statement. That uh, is a way where you can say, I was saved, I was baptized at a church at such and such a time, but uh, for whatever reason, then I may not be able to correspond with them anymore. And, and you can transfer your membership, uh, if you want to think of it that way, uh, by letter. We talk about that. All of these things are possible. But all of them are just ways that we... Go through the details of how or flesh out how we make that decision. The reason why I've said all of this to you tonight is because God had never intended for our Christian life to be lived out in isolation. You may be in the family of God. And if so, then you are related, not by blood, but by spirit, with all of the others that are in the family of God. But the place where you get to know other people and have relationships with your brother and sister in Christ is in the local church. You need a church, bottom line, because that is the place where this magnificent thing called fellowship plays out. Fellowship. Fellowship. Here in the local church at Philippi that Paul wrote to so long ago, uh, we know about this church. We know how it got started. Acts chapter 16 tells the story at the beginning of this church. Interestingly enough, it began with the time when the Apostle Paul was told no. <laughs> and it wasn't by any of his co-workers. <laughs> they probably knew better. But it was... Of course, by the Holy Spirit himself. Paul was uh, planning on uh, going into Asia. They were deciding on their next field of service, where are we going to go? And they reminded, well, let's go to Asia. Sounds good to me. But then God said no. No, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into Asia. Well, we can't go to Asia. Where are we going to go? They next thought of a place called Bithynia. But again, the Holy Spirit said, no, no. And it was then that Paul dreamed, dreamed a dream. And he saw in that dream a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. 
And so what did they do? <laughs> they went to Macedonia, of course. They said, well, the Spirit has spoken expressly. We know this is where God wants us to go. And folks, and, and God has a way of sending us where he wants us to go. And that is true of all of us, but it is especially true of, of those who serve the Lord, those who are in ministry, and those who are preachers. One old country preacher said the problem with too many preachers today is that they have went when they ain't been sent. And uh, I understand that. I, I'm in Cabot tonight because God sent me here. There's no question of that in my mind. There are times, though, in our lives when God says no. Times when he'll say no before he says go. And woe unto the man or the woman or the teenager who doesn't respect when God says no. When it comes to this marvelous New Testament church, then we know that it came in, that this church at Philippi came into existence because God sent Paul there to build it. He told him no, but then he told him to go. And the church at Philippi was the result. You know, Jesus promised that I will build my church. That's what he said. I will build my church. He didn't say, I will build you a church. That's a very important difference for us to remember. I will build my church. Jesus put himself in the church building business and he has never gone out of business right until this very night. And we see then this playing out as Paul ended up in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. Uh, first of all, uh, you'll see the salvation of a woman named Lydia. And uh, that is in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 and following uh, where Lydia was gloriously saved. And Paul went to a place where prayer was wont to be made down by the riverside. We're not sure exactly why they were there. Or, but we do know what happened. Lydia was a very successful businesswoman, uh, was saved. Uh, the next story that we read in Acts chapter 16 is a story of a demon-possessed girl. A woman who was, uh, the Bible says, a soothsayer, what we would probably call a fortune teller, although we're not sure exactly what all uh, this woman was involved in. Uh, but it involved some kind of demonic power, obviously, because she was possessed by a demon. And uh, in some way then, that demon was able to uh, give people information that they were willing to pay for, and it was a very lucrative business. She was This woman was a slave to her masters. Obviously, she was exploited by them, and there's no telling what kind of tortured and tormented person she was or what kind of life she lived. This young woman, this woman was saved. Paul cast the demon out of her, when the demon left her then, she was worthless to her masters because uh, all the money that they had been making from her was gone. So what they do? Well, they took Paul and Silas to court. That's what they did. And they ended up in jail. But then the jailer got saved. <laughs> what a great story that was. And not only the jailer, but his whole family got saved. 
What diversity there was in that group. Lydia, that wealthy businesswoman, a slave girl despised by her masters, and a Roman soldier and his family. So different. What a marvelous example this is of how Jesus is at work to build his church. You see, the, the strength of any New Testament church is not found in our uniformity, but in our diversity. God brings people together from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of persuasions. And right here in our own church, I mean, we can look around and, and, and we have all kinds of people here. Uh, there are a lot of retired people. There are a lot of young families. We have business people, very successful people, uh, all kinds of folks who are here. And yet God blends us together in that marvelous work of building a church. God moves us. People are saved. And they come to be a part of this church family uh, some come to this town and they're looking for a church home and they seek the leadership of God and they find out this is where God wants them. And every one, every single one of the people that God brings to this church needs the fellowship of God's people. Every one of them needs fellowship. See, just because you join a church doesn't necessarily mean that your isolation is cured. You can join this church and still be as isolated as you were before. But that, again, that God does not intend for us to live out the Christian life in isolation. And he has provided this marvelous entity called the New Testament church to provide for our need for fellowship. And it worked in Philippi as those incredibly diverse people were drawn into the fellowship of that church and they stayed there. And a church grew. Other people came. Even though Paul had to leave town, others came. Others took over the work and continued it. People didn't just hit and then slide away. It's possible for a church to be what I call a Teflon church. And I, I may need to find some kind of new name for that. I'm not sure that Teflon is even around anymore. I think it is. We certainly get a lot of non-stick pans. And I hope you can think about what I'm thinking. Uh, it's possible for a church to be a kind of a non-stick kind of church. Where people hit and they just slide away until they're gone. We don't want that. Uh, we want people to learn the fellowship of the people of God, to experience the fellowship of the people of God as a part of this church. Interestingly enough, the word fellowship is mentioned three times in three chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2. In chapter 3, in the book of Philippians, all mentions fellowship. 
And the first time is in our text, in verse 5, what we call the fellowship of the gospel. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And what was the first day? Well, the only thing that I can conclude in looking at the passage and considering how the church at Philippi got started, I, I'm thinking about that first day that Paul came to town. And, and that first time when there was a bunch of women down there praying, and he went down there, and before the day was out, Lydia was saved. And guess where they went? They went home with her. They went home with Paul and Silas. They were able, uh, she no doubt, again, she was a wealthy woman. Part of her house was available, and so she had a place for them. And lo and behold, not only did somebody get saved that day, but Paul and Silas got a place to stay. Pretty neat thing. From the first day, you say, well, that happens all the time, doesn't it? No, it doesn't happen all the time. You mean missionaries that go out, church planters that go out and start new churches, you be, they, they don't always have somebody that just opens up their house to them and says, hey, come stay with us. No, it doesn't always happen that way. But it happened at Philippi. And I think that's why Paul says it this way. I mean, right off the bat, from the first day, we experienced the fellowship of the gospel. As you were saved, and you invited us, and we had a place then to stay and a place to meet. No doubt they would, the church would meet in, in Lydia's home for a while. It was a common practice in the New Testament, what they called house churches. Fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And I can see at least two implications tonight of the fellowship of the gospel and the first one is the most obvious, and that is we fellowship in the gospel because we've all been saved by the same gospel. <laughs> we were all saved exactly the same way by exactly the same Savior. Uh, you were baptized exactly the same way if you're a part of this church. Uh, now, I, I realize some of you may have been baptized in another church. I understand that. Uh, some of you might have been baptized in a pond somewhere. Some of you might have been baptized in a creek somewhere. I, I understand all that. But at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. There's a preacher who takes you by the hand and puts you down under the water and raises you back up. And H2O is the same everywhere you find it. It might be a little murky in some places. It might be crystal clear in others. It might be cold. It might be hot. But it's still H2O. They put you under the water. They raise you up in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. We were all saved. We were all baptized. It happened publicly. It was not hid off in a corner somewhere. People were saved. They were baptized. And they made that commitment then to continue in that fellowship in the gospel. So our fellowship in the gospel is based on our common experience of salvation. We were all saved exactly the same way by exactly the same Savior you're in Christ Jesus tonight if you're saved. So am I. Christ is in you tonight. We'll talk about that more in a moment. 
He's in me too. So we are all saved exactly the same way by exactly the same Savior. That is, therefore, the basis of our fellowship of the gospel. But then we're all given the opportunity to be involved in getting the gospel out to others so that we don't just sit down and say, yeah, I'm saved, and I'm around a whole bunch of other people who are also saved. No, because we're also sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to share the gospel so that other people can be saved. That's the fellowship of the gospel because we're still here and we're trying to reach others with the gospel truth message. Paul gave us a great example of this in 1 Corinthians when he talked about how that I have planted and Apollos has watered, but it's God that gives the increase. I have planted, Apollos has watered, but God has made the crop happen. Now, how does that play out in our world? Is this just talking about the work of your pastors so that Brother Rich might plant and Brother Justin, Brother Shiloh, and Brother Bill come along and they all water and then... No, there's more to it than that. And to try to explain how this all works is complicated for us, but I can give you, I can give you examples Here's a person, and you work with somebody. Maybe you do a job for them. You're not around them very long, but you strike up a conversation. First thing you know, you invite them to church. Lo and behold, they come. And as it so often is the case, here they come in on Sunday morning. They're looking around, and maybe somebody comes up to it. Can I help you find somebody? And they say, yeah, I'm looking for so-and-so. Oh, sorry, they're not here today. Ain't it always that way? It's not always that way, but it happens that way some. You invite somebody to come, they finally show up, and then maybe you're not here. Oh, they're not here today, but hey, come over and sit with my family. We got room. Come up here and sit by us. Somebody else befriends them. Now they not only know you, but they know somebody else. First thing you know, they've introduced them to Brother Justin. Or maybe they've introduced them to me. Maybe they've introduced them to a Sunday school teacher who invites them to come back to their Sunday school class next week. First thing you know, they're asking questions. Maybe they ask somebody else. Tell me about Jesus and what do you think about him? How to be right with him. Somebody else maybe is able to share the gospel with them. Not everybody is saved the first time they hear the gospel. A lot of people will sit under the preaching of the gospel for months, sometimes years. It's a dangerous thing. But unfortunately true that people will often hear the gospel but maybe not be saved initially. But then somebody else maybe gets to go by and see them, sit down maybe and have a conversation with them in the coffee shop. They get saved. Somebody invited them. Somebody else talked to them. Somebody else invited them to Sunday school. Somebody else taught a class. Brother Bill uh, sang to them. <laughs> Somebody else sang to them. Maybe a song moved them. A sermon. They hear a sermon preached, and they hear the gospel, and it moves them. 
Somebody else will maybe follow up with them. Somebody else will talk to them. And then lo and behold, gloriously, that person is saved. Who led him to Jesus? Oh, I tell you what, our preacher's doing so good. Who led him to Jesus? The body did. We did. That, brothers and sisters, is the fellowship of the gospel. Yes, we've all been saved exactly the same way. We all had the same exact experience. Our sins were forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us from all sin. We gave the same testimony of our salvation and baptism. We have joined in the same church. We all have that same experience of the gospel. But then we're all out there constantly, constantly, as the light of the world We're all out there constantly as ambassadors for Christ, sharing the gospel. One of the ways then that we move away from our isolation is through our fellowship in the gospel. Everybody's always a little hesitant, especially when they come to a new church or a new place and around a bunch of new people. It may be hard for you to introduce yourself. I can assure you it is hard for other people to introduce themselves to you. Did you understand what I said? It's hard for you to introduce yourself to somebody. It's hard for others to introduce themselves to you. But it is helpful if we'll all remember that we've all knelt at the same cross and been washed in the same blood. And then it helps us in our fellowship in the gospel if we actually get involved in trying to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that we're attentive to those folks, maybe that we don't know, where we're inviting others to come. And there's just something great and glorious that happens when somebody maybe that we've reached out to, somebody that we've invited, somebody we've encouraged, somebody we've had something to say to or something to do with, and we see that person come to know Jesus Christ. Or come to be a part of our church family. Oh, it's something special. Fellowship of the gospel. Fellowship number two. Philippians chapter two and verse one. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love. If any fellowship of the spirit. If any bowels and mercies. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord of one mind. The fellowship. Of the Spirit. Fellowship of the Gospel, Fellowship of the Spirit. And as I told you earlier, I would mention this again tonight that one of the great truths of the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives as believers in Christ. So much is this true that Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says that if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. 
And although there are a lot of people who believe in our world tonight that uh, once you're saved, then you have to seek after the Holy Spirit and all kinds of experiences that you have in order to receive the Holy Spirit. The fact is that Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not saved. And that every person then who is saved receives that New Testament gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. And when we are all, and the Spirit of God lives in all of us, and when we're all walking in the Spirit and we're all living in the Spirit, we're all led by the Spirit, then it produces a state referred to in this passage as like-minded. That you be like-minded, of one mind. And that you have the same love, being of one accord. Of one accord. Interesting word there. It has to do with being the same soul. Soon is the word same in Greek. Soon. Soon suke, basically. Soon soul. Same souled. So that our desires, our feelings, down at the very essence of our being, we have a fellowship in the spirit that produces this state of being one mind and one souled. Now, in modern times, you might have heard the expression, and it's somewhat overused, and I apologize for that, uh, but you might have used it a time or two yourself, saying, well, we need to make sure we're all on the same page. You ever hear that? Same page. Okay. Overused, right? Yeah, I know that. Uh, But it is effective. Uh, It is a state where basically we all know the same things and we all have the same objectives. We're all striving for the same things. The Bible calls that one mind and one soul. But you know, in a very humanly uh, expressed way, just as humans, just the way we are, (laughs) uh, unfortunately, we've all got one mind. (laughs) And out of that one mind comes at least one opinion. I say at least one opinion because, quite frankly, I often argue with myself over things. I don't even agree with myself all the time. And I frequently find myself telling somebody, telling people, you just pick one side of the argument and I'll take the other because I can argue either side. Um, The state of... A New Testament church coming together as one mind is dependent on us following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You see, if the Spirit is leading you and the Spirit is leading me, the Spirit of God is in you and the Spirit of God is in me, and if I'm following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, I'm filled with the Spirit so that I'm submitting to the Spirit and you are filled with the Spirit so that you're submitting with the Spirit, Uh, guess what? Uh, We're not going to be contrary to one another. And instead, we'll fulfill that joy that Paul talks about in Philippians uh, chapter 2, where he says that you be like-minded, having the the same love and uh, having the same uh, mind one toward another, same soul. The fellowship of the Spirit. Interestingly, the same Paul would write to another church, the church at Ephesus, and tell them, give all diligence to keep, to protect what he called the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. It is a precious thing when a church is in unity. And few things are more difficult to experience and endure than when a church, your church family, gets contrary one to another. And so Paul would tell them, the church at Philippi, and us, there is the fellowship of the Spirit. So he would tell the church at Ephesus, there is a unity of the Spirit to be kept, to be protected. It's part of the role of a deacon in the New Testament. It's to guard, to protect the unity of the congregation. You say, where'd you get that from, Brother Rich? Well, from Acts chapter 6. What was happening in Acts chapter 6? There was a squabble. (laughs) There was only one church. First church, you know, the church of Jerusalem. There was only one. And lo and behold, they had a squabble. What happened? Well, the the church had to take care of a bunch of widow women uh, as a result of, uh, no doubt, its explosive growth and the fact that it happened on the day of Pentecost and a lot of those people were staying there in Jerusalem instead of going back to their homes and they had to find a way to take care of them all. You remember it was such a crisis that Barnabas, who was a wealthy landowner, ended up having to sell some property just to be able to fund uh, the church's benevolence. In all that situation. But along the way, uh, some of the foreign speaking widows got to feeling neglected. Not sure how that played out exactly. Uh, maybe, maybe they saw that uh, uh, when it came time to pass out the chicken, you know, all the, all the, the local women uh, got the breast and the thighs and the legs and, and the, the foreign women, all they got was the neck and the back, you know, and the head and the feet. That was, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how it played out. I don't know. But somehow or another, they began to feel like they were neglected. And there arose a murmuring, complaining by the foreign uh, women, Jewish women, who felt neglected, Jewish widows, or they felt neglected, and the the local folks, the Judean Jewish widows, who uh, they they began to complain. Well, bless old Simon Peter's heart. He never was really slow-spoken, was he? I mean, that's one thing you see him doing quite frequently. So what did he do? Well, he stood up in front of the church and told them, he said, it's not right that we should leave the Word of God, that the apostles should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, Simon Peter's problem was not that they couldn't serve tables. They could. The problem was that there was nobody else to do what the apostles could do. And that was the ministry of the Word of God. So if they had to leave the ministry of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, all these thousands of people who needed to be taught the Word, if they had to leave that in order to take care of this business, the church would suffer. And so he said, choose out seven men. And they did. And out of all the thousands that were there in the church of Jerusalem... They chose out seven men. Strong qualifications that were given of them, full of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, 
set them over this business. The saying pleased the whole multitude, and wouldn't you know it, that since the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were doing all the complaining, if you look at the names of those seven men, every one of them were Greek names. <laughs> oh, yeah. You say, is that in the Bible? Yeah, it is. It sure is. Every one of them. And the whole situation was taken care of. The unity of the body was preserved. You see, I, I didn't just make that up. It's the role of a deacon in the New Testament to be a, a guardian of the unity of the body. To make sure that people are being ministered to. That problems are dealt with. That yes, physical things are taken care of. Unity of the Spirit is important. The fellowship of the Spirit is important. So much so that a whole office of the church was dedicated to it. And if you'll look in Philippians chapter 1, in the first verse, you'll see that it was addressed to the bishops and deacons. Do you see that? Fellowship of the Spirit, fellowship of the gospel, one more. Fellowship of suffering. Chapter 3 and verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. There are at least two ways of looking at the fellowship of his sufferings, and I think both of them are applicable in this passage. One and most obvious one is that we would, be, we would fellowship in the suffering of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ suffered and when we suffer, therefore, we are joining in with his sufferings to an extent. Obviously, it is not necessary for us to do anything. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Uh, there is nothing to be added to our salvation. Nothing, nothing. Jesus has paid it all. But there is a sense in which we join in his sufferings when we suffer for his sake. If you were a Christian in Philippi, you suffered for Jesus. That's all it was to it. If you're a Christian in Philippi, you suffered. But Paul wanted them to know that a part of your fellowship then is this fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But because they fellowshiped in his sufferings then, if, if every one of us is fellowshipping in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, then what does that do for us? Then that creates a fellowship of suffering. And it is part then of what goes on in the body of Christ, part of what goes on in the New Testament church. The Bible tells us, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting to see how this plays out in a church. Somebody gets diagnosed with cancer. And first thing you know, here's all these other people coming to them. Saying, I've got the same thing. I've dealt with the same thing. I've been there. I know where you are. And you feel that fellowship. Because you're surrounded by people who've had to go through the same thing. 
And you can name almost any tragedy that would befall us, any difficulty, anything that we would look at as being a time of suffering. And lo and behold, you'll find others in the body who've gone through maybe not exactly the same thing, but something similar. And they can come along beside you, put an arm around you, say, and they're standing there right in front of you, living proof. God got me through. God's helped me. God's given me the strength I need. And oh, I tell you what, God does some incredible things in the lives of his people. And there's sometimes that that fellowship of suffering really is the only comfort that there is available to us as we draw together as a body of Christ. And yes, we fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, but then that also creates in us a fellowship of the sufferers. Jesus said it best, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Sufficient unto the day, Jesus said, is the evil thereof. We're all going to have some dark days. But thank God we've got the fellowship of God's people. Three times in three chapters, that should get our attention. And tonight, I hope it has. Paul talked to this church about their fellowship. Fellowship in the gospel. Fellowship in the spirit. Fellowship of suffering. And in these things, then, he highlights for us the importance of fellowship in the lives of God's people. There was an old preacher story. And I've heard it so many times. No doubt, a lot of you have heard it too. Of a pastor who went to visit a church member who he hadn't seen in a long time. This was back in the days where everybody had a fireplace, just a small fire. They began, they sat down, made a little small talk. After a while, the conversation kind of lagged a bit. And the preacher didn't know exactly how to say what he had gone there to say. The fire had begun to drag down just a little bit, so he walked up and he picked up the tongs and poked around the fire a little bit. Found him a good live coal. And he pulled it out away from the fire and set it down. He never really said anything. The conversation had lagged. But after a while, that coal began to grow dark. What was once fiery red then was cold and dark ashen. And then he went back again without saying a word, picked it up, put it back in the fire. And it wasn't but just a moment till the coal was glowing and red again. Say, how'd the story end? I don't remember. (laughs) Did the guy come back to church that next Sunday? I think I probably would have. But uh, you see, we need fellowship, the fellowship of God's people. We need it. God knows it. We dare not forget it. Maybe tonight you've been saved, but you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're visiting, looking for a church home. I'm not asking you 
to just step out tonight and say, well, i got to decide right now. I'm not going to tell you that, although it would be okay if you did. But I do want you to prayerfully consider it. Because if you're not going somewhere else and you're coming here, then you're already telling me that you feel strongly moved toward this church family. It might be a time for you to make a decision. Join it. Make a commitment. Get active. Get involved. Join, as we like to call it, this fellowship of believers in Christ. Let's stand together, please.